I'm your inner dream monologue and you're fast asleep. So I'll be quick. Great job using the Colgate Optic White Overnight Teeth Whitening Pen before bed. When used as directed, it gives you a visibly whiter smile in just seven days. So while I fly and talk to animals, you're removing teeth stains with ease. Sweet dreams. And when you wake up, keep on living life to the brightest. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. Coming up on today's show, we have a very special episode with the God of War Ragnarok spoiler cast with Lucy James. everybody and welcome to another episode of the what's good games podcast normally your source for video game news commentary analysis and funny stuff every friday but this week we're doing something a little different because it is the week of the game awards and y'all know we can never actually cover the game awards the week that they happen so we'll get to that next week but i'm still andrea renee of course joined as always by miss Brittany brombacher hello hello ho 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 miss rihanna manuel pena <laughs> hello happy holidays everyone <laughs> happy holidays i'm even wearing my what's good og holiday yeah. shirt nice. and of course we are joined by senior video producer and host Lucy James. Hi. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's so nice yeah. to be here. It's so good to get you on the show. Yeah. Now, not only do you work at Giant Bomb, of course, but I was going down a rabbit hole listening to episodes of your podcast, which I'm sure people like me didn't know that you were doing. I felt so in the dark. And then I was like, oh my gosh, Lucy has a podcast. I mean, yeah, that's the thing. Which one? I'm on so many. So we've got GameSpot <laughs> After Dark. I'm on the Bombcast and Voicemail Dump Truck. And yeah, but those Jeff, are part Jeff's of your day adventure. job. I'm talking about your moonlighting <laughs> yeah the moonlighting <laughs> podcast so it's called friends per second it's me skill up completionist and jake baldino so they are all like titans of youtube and i'm just coming it from the games media side but it's been great we've been going for i think we're like 11 episodes now we've had some amazing guests we've had jeff Keeley, we had josh sawyer we hopefully get some cool guests coming in as well but like it's going well and so, so what that's- is the podcast about It is a gaming podcast. We've all been in the industry like 10 plus years each. So we kind of all bring that side of it. We kind of wanted the feeling of just you're hanging out with your friends and just talking about games. So obviously we go off on random tangents where we're talking about things like McDonald's and cultural differences because obviously I'm (laughs) British and Ralph is Australian and then we're two Americans. So it's actually kind of nice to have a level playing field when it comes to does the letter U belong in the word humor? Half of us say that it does. And then we kind of go through news, reviews, and yeah, we make a big point to get like interviews in. And so it's just, yeah, it's going really well. We're really happy with it. The reception has also been lovely. It's kind of nice because I get to obviously talk about games as part of my day job. And then just to talk about them with a new group of people is really fun and kind of refreshing. And it's something that we've been planning since honestly about this time last year. And we didn't actually launch the podcast until Summer Game Fest back in June because we miraculously were all able to go and do it in person. And so we're doing that again at the Game Awards because everyone's going to be out. And so we will be filming another in-person episode, which is really fun. 
Nice. Very cool. So we'll see you at the Game Awards. Yes. I'm there Tuesday till Sunday, so I better see you all. Yes, <laughs> indeed. Now, it's going to be a little jarring for people listening to the episode because this episode is actually publishing the day after the Game Awards, but we will hopefully be posting photos and stuff on the social medias, as it were, if Twitter is still around by then. Okay. <laughs> I'll see you all on Hive. Hell That's yeah. I am, I am officially on Hive now. I don't know how I feel about it, but uh, I'm there. Oh, I'm so. loving it. You know what I like it. about Hive? I love that it feels like old school social media before I yeah. feel like it got really fucked up and toxic and overcrowded. Right yeah. now, everyone that I'm talking to and that's on it, I'm like, I know you and I know you. It's just it feels like a chill way to connect. I don't know how long it's going to last, but for now, I'm digging it. It's a good it's time. It's only two people as well, which is that's wild. Right. Yeah. I'm amazed it hasn't broken yet, but touch what it was. It's, <laughs> it's very chill. It's hard. Building an app is hard. It is. It's true. Brittany would know. Brittany, how's your app going? Oh, man. Next question. No, it, it's all good. <laughs> no, I mean, obviously, like we did launch an app a while back. But the problem is, is that neither my husband or I are developers. And so we had to outsource it to a lovely company across the pond. And they were great to work with. But the management and the upkeep when it's just two people trying to run it and then you're dealing with people across. We learned a lot. It's not necessarily dead in the water yet, but it's like, OK, like we have a kid in an actual business that makes money. Maybe we should focus on those things first. Oh, life life, man. (laughs) Such it is. Such it is. But Lucy, I wanted to ask you if you're up for chatting Mm. about it, about how everything has been going at Giant Bomb. You know, it's been a little bit of a tumultuous couple of months for you guys having this crazy transition and kind of Giant Bomb as an outlet kind of going through like a rebirth, so to speak, in the last few months. Uh, Like, how are you feeling about everything? How's the community doing? I think rebirth is kind of a good term for it. It's like the core tenets of it are still the same. It's a group of people getting together to talk about video games and sometimes wrestling and now anime too. We've managed to sneak that in. Honestly, I split my time between GameSpot and Giant Bomb. And so it's kind of like picking between your kids because I love both parts (laughs) of my job in a weird way. As an outsider, obviously working alongside Giant Bomb, but never really doing much with them before I joined. It's been so nice and like the community's been really welcoming. They kind of let us do what we do best. And obviously you've got people like Dan Reichert and Grub and, and Jess and Jan and Rory and everyone involved. It just it kind of go wild and talk about video games and get up to some really stupid shit. And obviously with Gersman leaving and, and doing his own thing and like we're super happy to see him doing so well and Giant Bomb still exists and is still doing well. Like we're still having fun. The community's still having fun. We had that bombathon in New York back in September. It feels like years ago, but it was only like two months ago where we did this huge, uh, like 15 hour live stream. And it was, you know, we were talking before we started recording and it's like being able to do things in person really makes a difference. And so I think that was a really important turning point for us where it was, you know, some new faces, new shows, but still the same spirit. And so being able to bring everyone to New York and also like Vinny came and Alex and Austin came along and we were phoning people and having them come in. It's like just felt like kind of that family coming home moment a little bit. And so I think that was super important. And that's kind of set the tone for more of the things that we want to do the week after this launches because again like thinking into the future we'll be doing game of the year and we have some plans for that so be prepared Mm. for the usual kind of nonsense Um, (laughs) but it's been change is always difficult and i've been at the heart of a lot of change this year obviously GameSpot is now part of fandom and so is giant bomb but at the end of the day it's like it's all leading somewhere good and like we're all very happy there and it's kind of like a new lease on life for everyone even tam and i you know we've both been in GameSpot for a long time and getting to do this kind of stuff and calling it 
work is kind of fantastic mm-hmm. and yeah the community has been incredible and like I've never been memed quite so much before in my life and it's um <laughs> like I'll hop into the giant bomb discord and I will be an emote or something of me dressed as Mario and I'm like yeah or like playing Jenga is now a big thing that we do honestly it's really fun we're always like watching and listening and so we're always paying attention to what people say but we think it's going good That's great. And it's always so hard to know how the community is going to react when such a huge change like that happens. And also having gone through an ownership change when you're at an outlet Mm. is incredibly scary, if nothing else. Like, what's going to happen to my team? What's going to happen to my funding? Is everything going to change? Are we going to get laid off? Are they going to cancel everything? And I think everyone's kind of like held their breath a little bit, being like, Mm. ooh, what's fandom going to do? Are they going to close everything? And thankfully, they haven't. (laughs) So we uh, are rooting for you and glad that everything's going good. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of nice. And like, I'm technically still a Red Ventures employee because visas just don't work that way. (laughs) Right. But like, Mm -hmm. honestly, fandom made us very welcome the very beginning like they made a whole hype video for us instead of like you know us making one to tell them who we were and like immediately like people were reaching out and saying you know hey we really love GameSpot we love Giant Bomb excited to work together and that's been very much the vibe it's been through a few of these corporate transition (laughs) type things and like honestly this has kind of been the best one and we think they're a great home for us because they really understand what we do we're kind of a perfect complement to what they already do. And so we've had friends who've worked there over the years. I have friends who still work there. And so, yeah, it's going well. Awesome. Well, that's great to hear. Well, shall we spoil all of the things happening oh, yeah. in Ragnarok? I don't even know, like in the nine realms, I guess. Ooh, I like <laughs> yeah. that. We, and it's that weird how thing we about it. of I feel like we need to put a spoiler warning at the spoiler cast for a reason. Obviously, it's a spoiler cast. If you clicked on this, you know what you're getting into. But if you have not experienced the end game of Ragnarok, you're missing on some pretty monumental shit. So, okay, so if you're thinking like, oh, you know, it's Endgame, maybe that's all that's good for is wrapping up some side quests. No, no, no. Lots of important shit in there. So, FYI. If you didn't get the trophy that was basically, this is the real end of the game and here are the credits, then you haven't experienced it. Because the credits do fully roll after the initial credits roll because there's like a like the small credits yeah you're you're like walking through and it's on screen as you're walking and then there's a later thing where the full you know black screen credits Mm. full studio thing so that's the big spoiler so is this our official spoiler warning do not pass go turn it off if you haven't seen the black screen this is the moment this is the moment moment. all right all right you've been warned to get this spoiler cast going I want to make it clear that we don't really have a set direction in which we're going to talk about the game. I think what's going to happen is we're going to think of things and want to talk about them in the moment. But I want to be clear to everybody listening and watching that Rihanna has not finished the game yet. (laughs) And I asked her, I was like, girl, are you sure you want to be on the spoiler cast? And she's like, yeah. Yes. And here's the reason why. This is what I told Brittany. I want something to look forward to. So for me, I'm the the one in the audience that has trouble finishing games, right? Like there's just so much to play. I'm a multiplayer person at heart. So it's really tough for me to stick with a single player experience if I don't have something to entice me to keep going. So I actually like being spoiled sometimes because it makes me excited to go see what it looked like for myself. So I am very, very excited for the spoiler class and I'll be asking lots of questions at the end. Great. We wanted to make sure that we asked you yet again, because it's one of those things where it's like, well, if you change your mind, you change your mind. But I'm with you. I also don't typically mind being spoiled 
one thing is it doesn't like ruin it for me, but certain things I make exceptions for. But <laughs> all right. So Lucy, as our guest of honor, oh. we'll go to you first on a moment from the game. It can be anything that sticks out to you, is poignant to you, is, uh, wow, this was a really defining moment of the game for me. I think it's probably the big one. It's that Odin was tear the whole yes! time. Yes! <laughs> oh right? my god! Oh, Dude. when that scene I mean, talk started, about just jumping right in. I know that I never saw that. No, I never saw I that didn't. coming. But when when it started, like I was playing it, and I and I was like, oh, it's getting weird. It's getting like weirdly tense. The mood has shifted, and I don't understand why. And it wasn't until like the camera swings around, and then it. Happened happens i don't know why i'm censoring myself stabs brock oh um <laughs> i was just like oh and i was genuinely Reem, this is a lot to take yeah, in <laughs> sorry but I, I was genuinely you know kind of mouth agape immediately yes. paused and texted to more and he was like yeah <laughs> it's amazing they kept that very quiet because apparently if you go back and so we were talking to eric williams the director a couple weeks ago he said where you first find here in that mine there are raven feathers yes in the corner and i completely missed that and then Ooh. there's other little things kind of dotted through i did not put it together at all you know like he calls freya frig and there's other things that he does and i was just taking it back but that moment was it was such a jolt like water been splashed over me kind of thing because it was like oh my god shit's getting real of course he would have done this like everything you learn about odin as a kind of conniving character who's involved in everything and wants desperately to have control and knowledge and then I was like of course he would have done this angry at myself for not seeing it but it was so, so good I've kind of gone back and watched some of the because every cutscene's already uploaded obviously watching them now knowing that that was first of all okay I'm getting I'm so I word vomit okay first thing that's fun <laughs> is if you have subtitles on when Tyr is speaking, who's actually Odin, there's no um, accent mark over the Y. But when you free the real Tyr, he has the accent mark over the Y. And that was intentional. What? Yeah. Hmm. Isn't that fucking wild? Anyway, when you go back and you look at certain things, and like you were saying, like, he calls Freya Frigg. And it's like, okay, that's interesting. I went back and watched Groa's Prophecy when it was revealed to Atreus, Kratos, and Mimir for the first time. And there's that part where everyone realizes that Groa had lied to Odin about the prophecy. And if you go back and look at Tyr's face, and you don't quite pay attention to it because at the time Atreus and Kratos are talking, his face has just dropped and he is just staring into the mural. He's just absolutely mm. staring while there's this heavy ass conversation happening behind him. Like, oh my God, it makes so much sense. You just go back and you just listen to every little thing he says. And what I loved about the moment that it revealed, I mean, I hated the moment when Brock died, but when Odin finally revealed himself, it was just so fascinating because Odin got ahead of himself because Atreus had just come back with the mask and you can tell Odin was so antsy to get back to Asgard. He got so antsy that he almost he dropped character. Right? He mm -hmm. dropped character as being Tyr. He was like, well, you know what? I've uh, I've had my spear put down long enough. I think it is time I take up my spear and I lead all y'all to Asgard. And at that point, I was like, okay, if this is actually happening, I always had it envisioned in my head that there would be this amazing climatic moment of Tyr marching into battle. Mm -hmm. I was like, this isn't delivering. This isn't the revelation I wanted to be. This isn't Tyr being a badass and stepping in and saving the day. He's act This is like, this moment is weird to me. And on cue, there's Brock calling him out being like the pieces aren't welded together right or whatever he said and he picked up on it and I was like ah oh, Odin you fucked up and that's where you fucked up he was too antsy to get back to Asgard 
And that's why it happened. Anyway. So good. It was so well Yeah. Done. So, Rihanna, if you feel a little lost, we can explain what happened in this scene. So sure. this is near the very end of the game. Oh. Um, it probably would be helpful for us if you could tell us where in the game you are at right now. Right. So I left off right after Atreus was with Angraboda and they just defeated her grandmother who was trying to collect animal souls and they put the soul back into the snake and then fighting her grandmother and then they escaped. That's the last big moment that I had. So you have quite a ways. <laughs> yeah, I know to I'm go pretty far off. In, in this story. So this is going to be very revelatory for you, I think. It's exciting. Um, it makes me want to play it more, honestly. <laughs> So there's quite a bit that happens between where you're at, where we first meet Angraboda, and, and we'll get to Angraboda in just a little bit. She does show up a couple more times throughout the game, but not nearly as incomprehensive as a way of the section of the game mm. that you were just in. We're jumping quite a bit into the future to the end of the game where you've essentially prepared for inevitably kicking off Ragnarok. There is a really phenomenal boss fight, which we're going to talk about with Heimdall. Oh who we got to see. So you haven't done the section on Asgard yet. No. You haven't done any of the Asgard stuff. I don't think so. So, uh, okay. Uh, I'm trying just, to figure out go, like, if go, I want to <laughs> explain it all to you. There is a big section of the game where Loki slash Atreus decides to actually go against his father and everybody else's advice and wishes to Asgard per Odin's invitation. So I don't know if you remember in the beginning when mm -hmm. Odin and Thor go to their cabin, he essentially is like, you know, Loki, if you want to come to Asgard and be my guest, you're welcome to. And Odin decides to invite Loki into his plan of this mask revealing this infinite well of knowledge. So when Atreus gets to Asgard and then assumes his like Loki personality, he gets to meet a bunch of characters who are really cool and become kind of pivotal at the very end of the game, which we'll talk about. One of them is a girl named Thrud, who is Thor's daughter. And Thor is married to this woman named Sif, who is also going to kind of play into what happens at the end of the game. And Loki kind of is making friends with these people, getting to know them. And Odin has this mask that he wants Loki to go find pieces of the mask throughout these different parts of the realms. And so Loki's thinking, oh, well, this is how I get on Odin's good side and how I figure out like what Odin's play is, goes along. And then you actually get to go on a little adventure with Thor. Now, Thor is never playable at any point in the game. I thought for a second, I was like, dude, sick. if they make Thor yeah. playable, <laughs> it could have been fun. But I also think it would have pulled focus. And so I'm really glad they edited. This is where our good friend Steimer, yeah. Christine Steimer would be like, editing is important. And this is, I think, a really good moment of editing where they're like, you know what? Nah, you get to go on a lot of adventures where you can direct your companion like Freya. You get to play with Freya and direct Freya and she's got a whole skill tree. Same with Atreus, of course. And then both Brock and Sindri have moments where you get to play with them. You don't get to play as them. Through as but well. when you yes, and when you get to go on a mission with Thor, though, it's like he's doing his own thing. Yeah. Like you never get to like direct him to do anything because he's the fucking god of thunder and lightning or whatever. 
So flash forward to the end of the game because Atreus then goes back to, you know, his dad, Kratos, and kind of tells him what Odin's been up to. And there's this really great tension with Atreus slash Loki of, you know, where is he going to go? Because he's clearly had this ongoing like beef with his dad. And we know that it's just like teenage angsty beef. It's not that he doesn't love him or doesn't care about him or he's ready to like run away. It definitely like I feel like they totally fucking nailed this runaway moment. It was one of those moments in the game that I think about. And I remember being a kid and running away from my house on my bike and like, I'm done. I'm so mad. And I never want to be in that house again. And I'm like (laughs) riding my bike through this park being like, where am I going to go? What am I going to do? Have no money in my pocket. And of course, this is the age before cell phones. So had no cell phones, didn't have like Apple Pay on my fucking phone to buy anything. (laughs) So I was like, okay, I just have my bike and like my backpack with like my school shit in it. And like, that's it. (laughs) And it just kind of took me back there. This psyche of feeling so flustered and overcome by your emotions and not knowing how to deal with your emotions and the only thing that kicks in is that flight response in the fight or flight of like I just gotta get out I just gotta go and I think you know Sony Santa Monica's writing team really kind of nailed that feeling of like this is clearly like this teenage boy who has all these emotions and doesn't know what to do with them and is fighting with his dad and he just runs away he runs away to Asgard to his supposed alternate family and it was such an interesting section of the game Mm. I think the reason what I interpreted from all of that tension was that he was obviously very very flustered because while he was in Jotunheim, he saw the mural for the first time of him cradling a bald man who he assumed was his father dead and him serving Odin. And he didn't want to tell his dad about the mural at the time for whatever reason. And he was like, I got to save my dad. I got to save my dad. But then when he got back to Sindri's house, everyone was dogpiling him, right? Like everybody like, what did you do? Oh my God, you fucked up. And then he was like, okay, fuck this. Like, I'm out of here. And then he bailed at that point. And I always had a feeling that he was trying to do the right thing. But it was, to what you're saying, Andrea, just such a credit to the writing team. Because when I was in Kratos, when I was playing as Kratos, I never felt scared or intimidated or anything. But as soon as I was playing as Atreus and I was in Asgard and I had to talk with Odin and Heimdall and even Thor, I literally felt the intimidation from just existing in that realm. And that was so well done. And there was a moment after we accidentally freed Gar. I guess we're still following this narrative path for re apologies. But anyway, like the point I'm just trying to make in this moment is damn, I felt weak, I felt scared, and I felt intimidated as all fuck. And I was like, God, how are you guys doing this to me? I don't need to feel these emotions right now. But they were very real and visceral. And I mean, to your point, and like actually continuing the narrative thread is like Atreus has this moment where he thinks he's doing the right thing. He's also with Throod at the time. They're in Helheim, is it? It's the icy. Yeah, um, Helheim. They see this big, huge dog and Atreus is like, well, the mask piece has to be behind this dog. I'm going to free it. Throod is also kind of battling with her parents as well. And that, that's a really interesting dynamic is that you have the Atreus Kratos family dynamic and then you have Odin treats Thor like a piece of shit. Like he hates Thor and like puts him down at every aspect. And then you've got Thor mm-hmm. and Sif who are desperately trying to protect Throod. And so Throod is also trying to prove herself just as Atreus is. And they go out on this little mission together. And Atreus rescues this dog. And it turns out this dog can just 
rip holes in the space-time continuum and just rip between realms. And he's ma- he's basically he's cool. got a giant ass chain on him. And at no point nope. did Through not go along with Atreus's yeah. plan yeah. to free this dog. You'd think someone They're would just have like left. let's let this dog go. Clearly, it needs our help. Yeah. And none of them were like, "Why is this dog locked up in the?" First no place? one left it like a sign that just said, "Please do not free this dog." Um, <laughs> it, is a big, it is a big wolf, to be fair, it's right? It's a giant wolf. But. So this is point, and then you know he realizes just how badly he's fucked up. Like even Odin loses his cool with him. He's like, "What the hell did you do that for?" Yeah. And then he comes back, and there's this emotion. Like, oh my god, this they nailed this when he comes back to Kratos, and Kratos is just like oh. doesn't immediately reprimand him for doing all this. It's just like the moment of I'm so glad you're back. I think is that the only time he calls him boy. Like there is a he calls him boy when he leaves. When he's oh, yeah, like storming, he, he's, he busts open the door of Sindri's house and he goes boy. boy. Like oh there it is. Okay they yeah. did it. And then once. and then when he comes back they just hug and oh my god I had like tears in my eyes. It yeah. was so well done. That was one of my favorite. I have an under memorable moments. Yeah he comes back <laughs> and there, there's a rift here right and Sindri's yeah. house is under attack. And everyone's like, oh, my God, you're back, you're back. But Kratos doesn't show up until after the fight. And they have this intense staring like moment. And Kratos just asks him, what do I call you? And then Atreus doesn't even see anything. He just runs into his arms. And I was like, oh, my God. Kratos, whenever that lip quivers on Kratos, that, that yeah. always got yeah. me every time. Yeah, he didn't like outright have any moments of actual like tears or sobbing because like the God of War doesn't cry. But didn't he have the way that they showed like subdued emotion well maybe at the end there was like a a solitary tear i don't i don't recall seeing actual tears but i think that obviously christopher judge's performance is like just kiss and i fully expect him to win at the game awards we will only know once they actually happen i feel bad Um, i feel bad though because i thought danielle Bassetti, Bassetti. Oh, I thought she, she was, was robbed she of was a nomination. She as was Freya. incredible like, as Freya. Such like, a she bad was, scene she was in great the in beginning. the first game, but in Ragnarok and like I think Ree, you would have you would played this bit where she like she has the scream, like she's just so frustrated and so oh. angry. Is when Atreus goes to visit her, and I was like, oh my god, I DM'd her so today. So Ree, you haven't done the section with Kratos and Freya where they like come to terms and then go out adventuring together have you i've seen a playthrough with that section i didn't play it myself okay but yes i've seen that and um she was in her valkyrie form yep. they fight a nidhogg i saw that part <laughs> that fight is incredible yeah that's an incredible boss battle yeah so there's a really phenomenal cutscene, you know which we'll get to in just a second because i want to you know kind of tie the loop on what we're talking about with asgard but yes daniel Bassetti, very amazing I'm so glad you brought that up, Britt, this idea of these two teenagers going through these things and how there was such a tonal shift with Atreus. I do want to call it that I really loved the combat feeling between Kratos and Atreus. I obviously preferred being the god of war because he's more powerful, (laughs) but I love how they had such a distinct feeling, how fast Atreus was at evading versus Kratos's evade. Like that to me was like a really significant difference. The sprint, like the speed at which Atreus could move through the environment was so much faster than what Kratos does. And then of course, just the feeling and the weightiness of of using the Leviathan Axe and the Blades of Chaos versus using Atreus's bow. Really interesting design choices that really made them feel unique. And I'm really glad that they gave us both of those experiences. I could have done with a little less 
time plane as Atreus, though, because that Asgard section was long. It was really long. When I got to the end of it, I was like, you know, I'm ready to go back. I was like, this feels like it's too long away from Kratos and what's happening over there. Did you guys feel that way or is it just me? I did and I didn't, but I, I but I only say I didn't because I loved Asgard because of the characters that were there. So I was like, I'm totally ready to go back to the tree. I need to see what's happening. Like, how are things falling apart in Atreus's absence? But also, I really love Throod. I love her story. I love the fact that you can kind of, as Atreus, you can eavesdrop a couple times. So yes. if you, there's there's one time you do it on Odin, and if he, and he just goes, Loki, I know you're there. Go away. <laughs> just keep going back. <laughs> yeah, but then there's one where you can you can eavesdrop drop on Thor and Sif and Heimdall. I think I would love to talk about Heimdall because I Yes, let's talk him. about Heimdall. So much. Played by the wonderful Scott Porter, who is a phenomenal human being and of course a wonderful actor as well. When he revealed that he played Heimdall on social media, I was like, I thought I recognized <laughs> that voice. And what a character. So I think it's jarring at first because like a lot of these Norse characters, a lot of us out there think of MCU Mm. characters, right? Because those are like the visual representations we've had recently. If you haven't played Assassin's Creed Valhalla, of course, or watched like the Viking show, whatever. There's a lot of other representations. But so Heimdall, though, I just kept thinking of Idris Elba, right? I was like, oh, this is such a different Heimdall because this Heimdall is a bona fide fucking asshole, Mm -hmm. like straight up. portrayed bad, in other mediums dude. as being more of like a insightful stoic um, intelligent yes yeah, like, 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 like the kindly word. librarian kind of a vibe yeah. where he knows mm-hmm. a bunch of shit and he'll help you out but he doesn't really care about you that much but okay definitely not like an a antagonist quiet warrior like but you know that Heimdall's like a badass and can definitely like hold his own in battle but he isn't the guy in the vanguard right he's not rushing to the front lines because his job is too important and his role is really like it has a lot of weight and impact. And so, yeah, stoic, I think is a, is a great word. And that's just not how they portray this character at all, which I think is really, really fascinating. (laughs) Oh man. He's a, he's a huge dick, but I mean, if you were a God and you could see literally everything coming before it comes and you could use that power however you wanted it is you know that you know that peter parker moment of with great power comes with great responsibility and clearly like heimdall's like double birds like <laughs> i don't give a fuck about anybody or anything i do what i want the only person that has sway over him of course is the all father yeah and there's a couple scenes between them where it, it almost feels like this tension between heimdall and thor comes to the forefront in a really interesting way because Mm. clearly Thor's relationship with his father is broken and Thor as as a character is broken. And I think it's really an interesting way that they portrayed him as being this father who's clearly struggling with alcohol addiction and has tried to tell his family that he's done drinking and he's cleaned up his life and he clearly hasn't cleaned up his life and he's in a regression period and he's feeling these moments of inferiority for some reason and Heimdall is really a good character to push his buttons but Heimdall also knows that he doesn't want to get into a fight with Thor because who does <laughs> yeah yeah you can tell that Thor there's this thing of like Thor is, is Odin's son and I don't what's Heimdall's relationship to Odin 
just know. serves him, uh, I think. Just serves him, yeah. right? And so you can tell yeah. that there's some, some lot, well, obviously lots of tension there, but especially tension from Thor, who is like, you know, this is my dad. I just, I just want my daddy's approval. But then you have Heimdall, who has the fucking horn. And so you can tell there's a, Odin's such a fucking dick. He's such a yeah. manipulative asshole. But I do want to mention that that boss battle with Heimdall was absolutely wild and that was the moment in the game that I dropped the difficulty down. Oh yeah. I struggled with and that one. I I mean I have really was, bad repetitive strain injury and so like I could not physically keep doing that so I also turned it down just for that boss battle and then I was like okay I'll come back up once I've <laughs> smashed this guy's face in. But yeah. But also no shame in baby no. ass baby mode. I also did have the weird bug where I couldn't change my difficulty setting and I had to go to Reddit to figure Oh, I hadn't heard about that. Yeah, so and I'm glad that it wasn't just me in the sense that like I was like, do I just have some weird game breaking where I can't change the difficulty? Because I kept dropping the difficulty down and then I would go back to my fight and then I was like, nothing feels like it's changed. And then I would go to make a save and it would still be like, give me balance. And I was like, so I, so it's not going down to give me grace. I was like, this is really frustrating. I was like, is this a weird bug where it's just not working? And so then of course I go to Reddit and I was like, ah, apparently it is a weird bug. And there are some like weird workarounds where you can do some inputs with the touchpad and, and things like that. And it, it did eventually like fix itself. But what a frustrating mm-hmm. thing where you're just trying to get through a fight and you're trying to drop the difficulty and the difficulty doesn't change, especially if you are at one of the higher oh, man. difficulty <gasps> settings. God, yeah. And you're like, yeah, I can't do this. It could be potentially game breaking. But that fight, re going into that fight, you actually have to go on a specific quest as Kratos with Freya. Because the dwarves are like, we can help you build a weapon that will kill Heimdall. Because the whole idea is that Heimdall is the one who kicks off Ragnarok. And killing Heimdall and taking his horn, the Galahorn, Mm -hmm. which is also weird that they keep talking about Galahorn. I know. I think it's a very different Uh, relationship with that word. (laughs) (laughs) Is that, you know, this is what they're trying to avoid. They're trying to not do this. They're trying to not fall into this prophecy. But they, Kratos keeps saying, I will do what I need to do to protect my son. And if Heimdall is going to kill Atreus, that I am going to kill Heimdall first. But in order to kill Heimdall, who literally sees every move before it happens, you have to have a special kind of weapon to do that. And the dwarves are like, we can help you with that. And there's a really cool mission where you go with Freya to kind of get these two devices that will eventually create a third weapon in the game, which is, I'm going to admit it, I didn't like it at first. I was like, I'm very comfortable with oh, my same. blades and my axe. Mm-hmm. And then it became, I don't like this spear. Mm-hmm. But dude, once you level that puppy oh, up and you get to the mm-hmm. specialty things unlocked with the with the runic abilities, it is real fun, that spear. Oh, it's a beast. So it's a, it's a badass spear that you get. And it was funny because when we talked about our first impressions in the preview, I was like, I don't think they're going to introduce another weapon. And then they introduced a third weapon. And I'm weapon. so happy that wasn't spoiled for us. I don't know, Lucy, I'm assuming it wasn't for you, but no. obviously it was for you. But no, that I mean, that was a really cool moment. And it's also one of the most heartbreaking moments, I think, um, happens during all of that shenanigans. So you find out that Brock had actually died a long time ago. And Sindri had went to Lake of Souls to get all his little, as Brock calls it, soul bits back. But he was only able to get, I think it was three out of the four. And so his soul, Brock's soul was... In- I think it was four out of the four six. Four out of the six of whatever it was. He was. It's all incomplete. So he has an incomplete Correct. soul, but Brock doesn't know this. But you know this from earlier in the game when Sindri told Atreus. Anyway, fast forward, you're now trying to forge the spear. And there's a mermaid who forges the spear for you. 
and you're down there and Brock's trying to talk to her. He's like, ma'am, if you could just bless this weapon for us, that would be great. But she's not even paying attention to him. And then Mimir says, mermaids don't speak to her. I think it's like something bodies. He used another word. I don't know what it was. But they speak to part of our soul as part specifically you might be missing. And then at that moment, Brock knows that he did die back in the day and he does have an incomplete soul. But this weapon needs to be blessed. And so Kratos is like, yo, dude, like, can you can you bless this for me? And Brock's like, no, 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 I can't do it. I can't do it. So to be clear, Kratos doesn't ask the mermaid uh, um, <laughs> blacksmith. She's a really interesting yeah. character, the lady. He says this weapon needs to be blessed by a master blacksmith. And that's what I'm getting at. And so he asks Brock to do the blessing. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Was, so at this yeah. point, because the mermaid said, fuck off, like, I'm not blessing your weapon because she couldn't see Brock. So then Kratos is like, but this still needs to be blessed. Brock's all pissed off because he just found out he doesn't have a soul. So Kratos then kneels down and like is wielding this weapon in front of him and he says it needs a blessing from a great blacksmith. And then he repeats a quote to Brock that Brock had gave him earlier, which is, it is the nature of a thing that matters, not its form. And then you can tell Brock like has this moment and then he blesses the spear. And that just really, I loved Brock as a character. Not Mm -hmm. only was he just this entity of levity that I think the series des- like that doesn't desperately need it but it was really appreciated in certain moments and he just made me laugh a lot that just broke my heart a little bit I was like damn like I think Brock just a lot of people write him off as just being this like silly goofy like unintelligent but talented blacksmith but he was the one that called out Odin as being tear you know he was able to bless this spear for Kratos and you could tell that Sindri just tried to protect him and I think he was overprotective of Brock, but Brock finally was like, no, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go see the mermaid lady, whatever her name was. And he just really like advocated for himself and he was just so, I don't know, I loved him. And so to have this scene happen and then to have him like die later, it was just like utterly, oh my God. Like it was one of the, probably the most like sad moments in a game for me. And I guess that all depends on if you liked Brock or not, but anyway that moment how do you feel about brock rihanna he is definitely in the comic relief category for me for the interactions we've had so far i will say the very last thing i've seen because again i've played some but then i've also watched a playthrough so the very last thing i've seen of the dwarves was where i believe they were on their way to nidavellir does that sound right? Yeah. To go find Tyr in the mines. The dwarf village in Svartalheim. There you go. And everybody's running away and hiding when they come. They sound the alarm and, and everything. And then they go into the mines and they do a little boat ride. It felt like a Disney ride. So the, the last bit I saw <laughs> from them was, was you know, when they had that little back and forth at their, their house, which they, you know, gave them a little guest room or whatever. And it was it was really charming. Like, like the, he's like, oh, you know, before you fuckers go, let me give you some weapon and I'll repair your shield for you. Like, mm-hmm. it, it was very cute. And and, and I didn't really have any sort of like deep emotional connection to him, but I could definitely see how that would develop over the course of the game. So, so I can definitely tell where you're going with that, Brittany. Yeah. I mean, he called Heimdall a quote, prize winning taint stain with a capital stain. <laughs> I think like, yeah, part, of, part of the, what makes Brock such a great character is like the balance that he brings to Sindri. Yes. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of this as well is that, you know, after Brock's death, Sindri oh. becomes a different character. He is broken like he is just he's not the light-hearted like trying to make everything Germaphobe, good right? and right germaphobe like that we we know from the first game and from the beginning of the second he's he's lost what he thought he couldn't lose again you know and so 
he just, he vanishes and he's so angry at Atreus. He's so angry at Kratos. Then he comes back to help, but he's not happy about it. He's like, I'm just doing this one thing and then I'm, I'm done. And so. And he did. <laughs> and he, and he, he does it. And then, you know, there's the real ending of the game beyond everything that you know, happens at Asgard and Ragnarok is Brock's funeral. And you go to Svartalfheim and you put him on a boat and set him out into the water and Sindri comes and you didn't necessarily think he would. And it's just like this powerful moment. And then he, is he the one who sets it ab- ablaze or is it Freya? I think Freya. it's Freya. It's he Freya. the torch and yeah. And then- that's the one. And then yeah, he holds the torch and she lights the arrow. And yeah. as soon as it's done, he just, he walks away and he just slips off and, between realms. And, he just, and then to it. add insult to injury, that's when Mimir solves Brock's riddle. So, yeah. ugh, God. Okay, so earlier on, Reese, so they're talking about riddles and shit. And there's some really funny moments where Brock tries to get Kratos to admit that he likes riddles or tries to like fool him with a riddle. I'm going to stop you there because this is a fun recurring moment that I want to talk about. But I want to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors who make What's Good Games possible. We'll be right back. episode of What's Good Games is brought to you by MeUndies. Who doesn't love getting new undies for the holidays? Nobody. That's you. MeUndies is your go-to spot for snuggly, soft undies and more that all your loved ones will adore. Hey, that rhymed. Do you like that? Get merry in matching sets, perfect for binge watching or holiday your way, however you like with new limited edition prints. The holiday spirit just got real. Try MeUndies and get 20% off your first purchase plus free standard shipping and free returns when you go to Me MeUndies.com slash WGG. Y'all know that we've been fans of MeUndies for years now. And I talked about how for the last couple of Christmases, I've been getting my family matching pajama sets and they have such cute holiday prints. They're so cozy, whether you like the two-piece or the onesie, or maybe you prefer to rock the sleep dress. Yes, they even have that now. It's amazing. They have something for everybody. And you can spend less time gifting and more time living with the new MeUndies Holiday Collection. From undies and bralettes to PJ sets, MeUndies has something for every name on your list. Shop classic plaids for dads, holiday sweater prints for fun friends, and of course, the softest loungewear ever for all of the cuddly ones in your life. Available in sizes extra small to 4XL, MeUndies has everything you need to make your favorite people smile this holiday season. All in one convenient place. And maybe a little something for yourself too. Come on, I'm not the only one that puts something for myself in my shopping cart when I'm shopping for other people at the holidays, right? Come on, you do it too. And this year, you can holiday your way with MeUndies. To get that 20% off your first order, free shipping, and a 100% satisfaction guarantee, go to MeUndies.com slash WGG. That's MeUndies.com slash WGG. So they know What's Good Games sent you. This episode of What's Good Games is brought to you by HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get farm-fresh, pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trip to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. It's why it's America's number one meal kit. It's the most festive time of year, everybody, and HelloFresh is here to help make the most of every moment. 
From holiday hosting to dinners during busy weeknights, you can count on HelloFresh to deliver fresh ingredients and seasonal recipes. Now, I talked about the charcuterie board that I got from the HelloFresh market, and now, you guys, they've got a cheese fondue board, and I added it to my box for Christmas weekend because my moms are in town, and I want to make sure we have something to drink with the champagne I've got already in the fridge. And you guys, they also have hot cocoa-flavored cinnamon rolls. I mean, what? I didn't even know they made such a thing. It's never been easier to prep for a party or fill your pantry with the HelloFresh market. And if you're looking for variety, look no further. With over 35 recipes available to choose from each week, there's something to please everyone. Choose from family-friendly, fit and wholesome, or even veggie if you don't eat any meat. Plus, you can also easily customize your meals by swapping up proteins and sides, upgrading your proteins, or even adding protein to veggie meals. And as I've mentioned before, I have loved my HelloFresh boxes. I've been getting them now for well over a year. I think we're going on two years now. And I just tried a new recipe, lemon dill chicken. And it came with this amazing turmeric couscous and a tomato salad. And it was divine. Even my baby loved the couscous. It was awesome. So if you want to try out America's number one meal kit for yourself and test out these tasty things that I've been talking about, go to HelloFresh.com slash What's Good 18 and use our code What's Good 18 to get 18 free meals plus free shipping. That's a ton of free food, you guys. That's HelloFresh.com slash What's Good 18 and use code What's Good 18 for 18 free meals plus free shipping. And when you use our code and our URL, they know that What's Good Games sent you. This episode of What's Good Games is also brought to you by ExpressVPN. Using the internet without ExpressVPN is like walking your dog in public without securing them on a leash. Most of the time, you're probably going to be fine, but... What if one day your dog runs away or worse, gets dog napped? That happens frequently. You'd be surprised. But it's better to be careful, isn't it? Especially when it's as simple as using something like ExpressVPN. Every time that you connect to an unencrypted network, cafes, airports, hotels, wherever you are, your online data is not secured. Any hacker on the same network can gain access to and steal your personal data. But ExpressVPN creates a secure encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet, so they can't take it. It, in fact, would take a hacker probably a billion years and a supercomputer to get past ExpressVPN's encryption. That's how sophisticated it is. And ExpressVPN works on all of your devices, your phone, your laptop, your tablet, even your smart TV. And it's easy to use. Just fire up the app and click the button to get protected. Between coffee shops, hotel lobbies, and airports while I'm on the go, I feel like I live my life on public Wi-Fi. I feel like you guys know what I'm talking about. We're just always out and about, and you don't want to be using your cell data, and everybody's got Wi-Fi, but because everybody has Wi-Fi, that means anybody has access to it. And that's why it's so great to have the ExpressVPN app on my phone. All I do is make sure that I pull the app up, hit the big button in the middle, and get connected, and then I know that no matter what I'm doing between email or banking or, you know, when I got to Venmo somebody for dinner the night before, it's all secure when I'm away from my home network. 
And if you want to get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free, you have to go to expressvpn.com slash what's good games. That's expressvpn.com slash what's good games to get an extra three months for free. Expressvpn.com slash what's good games. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome back, everybody. We were just about to talk about this ongoing riddle joke between Brock and Mimir that keeps coming up scene after scene after scene. And it's hilarious because the world's smartest man can't figure it out. So the riddle is this, friends. What gets bigger the more you take away from it? He's thinking. No. Anyway, so yeah. So Mimir has a lot of guesses uh, throughout the game. And Brock essentially shuts him down like, oh, that's a stupid answer. Oh, that's a stupid answer. And tragically, Brock dies before Mimir is able to figure out what the answer is. And, you know, Mimir is always talking about it, always trying to figure it out. Even when Brock isn't there, he's bouncing ideas off Kratos. It's pretty funny. And then at that point that Lucy was just talking about where Sentry comes, he helps Freya light the arrow, you know, pushes Brock off into the water. It's very emotional, very sad. He turns around, he disappears into another realm, realm between realms. And then at that point, Mimir just comes out of nowhere and he says, a hole. And Kratos is like, what? And he's like, a hole. He's like, what gets bigger the more you take away from it? And that moment just hits so hard considering that Sindri is now this broken character. Again, part of the levity that has been in God of War, right? This like super funny, like, oh my God, germs, ew, gross, blah, blah, blah. And now he is just battered. He's bloody. His clothes are torn. His eyes are bloodshot. He's disheveled. He looks like shit. It's like he came from Ragnarok and then never changed, never Absolutely. did laundry, That's, a, never that's a perfect anything. way of it's describing like, him. Yeah. And yeah, the whole, yeah. what gets bigger, the more you take away from it. And it's like, fuck. God, that, that's, yeah. oh God. I was a waterworker. I was never full on like sobbing at any point during this game, but let me tell you, the tears were flowing many oh, times. Fenrir at the beginning for me. Oh, oh yeah, oh, yeah, for oh, sure. Oh my yes. god! Yeah. Right? I was like, why are you gonna kill Fenrir right out the gate? <laughs> Damn! <sighs> but he comes back. He so, re fun fact: the little like blue wispies yeah. that come out. This is like with the when Fenrir in the giant dies. pebbles. <laughs> That's what I called them, the giant pebbles. Right, yeah. So I think this is a great moment for us to transition to talk about about Angraboda and about the Jotunheim and what mm-hmm. happens there. So you just finished that section of the game, so it's super fresh for you. What did you think about Angraboda as a character and how she interacts with Atreus? Yeah, so I will say, first off, the people that I was with when I watched them play through the section were very keen on looking up all of the characters in mythology to see yeah. what the <laughs> core <laughs> the core lore says about the characters. So the, her and Loki had a relationship and had like offspring, apparently, in like lore. 
they were lovers. Yeah. yeah. So the whole time I was like, are they vibing? Like, they <laughs> <laughs> <Hey>, totally are. <laughs> they were totally They're like 14 year olds or whatever. They're like, or I guess he's like, what, 15, 16? They're yeah. young. But I mean, they got the lust in their lines. Yeah, they had cute little, you know, age appropriate vibes. So I was, first of all, distracted <laughs> because I was trying to see if they were flirting with each other. But also, I <laughs> I really appreciated her character and how how she still had love for someone who was supposed to be there for her but couldn't mm-hmm. and i'm talking about her her grandmother her her parental figure and i'm noticing there's a lot of broken parental figure relationships throughout this story which i don't know is telling from the story creators or just the way life is but i found it very fascinating to watch atreus watch her deal with that trauma and the ultimate solution is they fight her grandmother, which, you know, it's a video game, of course. <laughs> You're not going to go fist fight your grandma if she was rude to you when you were growing up in real life most of the time. But I found it fascinating how, like, quiet he was and how he would listen and how he was just supportive and curious about her reaction to everything that was going on. And at no point did he center himself or say, like, oh, yeah, whenever I'm fighting with my dad, it's like this. And and I, as somebody who struggles to be there for people who are going through things sometimes, the way that I would like to show up for them, I found his journey incredibly helpful personally. And again, this is going very deep and not so much commenting on the game context and more on my personal reaction. But I absolutely loved that section for that reason. And one thing that I really, really liked about the storytelling of that section is how much Angraboda, I hope I'm saying her name right, Angraboda, how much she believed in the goodness of people and the goodness of fate and how even if mm-hmm. Atreus was literally looking at a prophecy saying his dad will die, he's going to go to Asgard, like everything's going to be the opposite of what he wants, she still encourages him to be hopeful and to be positive. And after everything she's been through, like she still carries on the souls of the giant. She still believes that there's a purpose to it. Like her endless belief in think the fact that things will work out was just very inspiring and and i really loved her character for that because there's not a lot of that in this game and i love the way that atreus encourages her because she's like my role in this is done and he's like it doesn't have to be and he's encouraging her as well in that way and i really loved that i really loved just atreus making a friend and having a relationship that wasn't Dealing with his dad's moods and <laughs> friend, I guess, was a friend now trying to kill him. Like, you know, I just really, I loved seeing him with someone his age. And actually with with Throod later on, you'll see as well. Mm-hmm. It's like, he is encouraging her, like Throod wants nothing more than to be a Valkyrie. And he's like, well, me and my dad have fought all the Valkyries and you'd be a great one. And, you know, I'll help you train and stuff. And But Thor and Sif do not want that for her at all. And so it's it's great to see in different circumstances how he can be just this good person. And it's really sweet. Yeah. yeah. I think um, Jotunheim had some of the best narrative moments. I thought the gameplay section, Andrew, you're talking about Asgard. For me, Jotunheim drug on a little too long. I'm yeah, with you right there. Jotunheim was far too yeah, long. Right yeah, right back on that There was thing. a lot of like, why are we doing this again? Like, like you made your point. How many I, I, I honestly think it's like, we built this gorgeous world. We just need, we need the player to live in it a little while. Otherwise, the, our team's going to get very mad at us. <laughs> they but, like, but, but like you're saying, Reese, some of the best, and like you too, Lucy, some of the best character development uh, with Atreus comes from her because you don't really ever get to see him interacting with someone his own age until that point. And you're like, oh, you're, you're really just like a kid at the end of it. And I was also really curious to hear how he would talk about his dad. Um, and again, always respectful 
of course he was honest, but he was never like, oh, I fucking hate that guy. And I was like, okay, cool. Like, I don't think you're going to backstab him. But at the end of the game, you can go back to Jotunheim and as Kratos and you can talk to mm-hmm. Angerboda. And that was a really fun moment. So you should definitely look this up and just so you can yeah. experience it. You know, she's she's painting, she's doing all these murals and everything. And I loved this moment. As Kratos, you know, you comment, you're like, oh, are you drawing these? And everyone around him, Freya and Mimir, just seeing how pretty and talented the drawings are or whatnot. And he, I think it, she says, you know, your son paints, or maybe Kratos said, my son paints, one or the other. And she said, yeah, you know, we're, we're giants. We all have it within us. He just needs a little bit of discipline to bring it out of him. And Kratos legit chuckled and says I like you I was like yeah you guys are gonna grow up and make babies and it's gonna yeah. be great yeah <laughs> well so, I mean technically no, I, I in, the, in the lore they make Fenrir which is confusing yeah and they make Jormungandr as Serpent, well right yeah like not- <laughs> right so I think it's really interesting how the narrative team addressed both of those things that exist in North mythology because there is that moment where Atreus puts the soul of that giant into that mm-hmm. snake and then they call back to it throughout the game on how this snake has gotten incredibly large and it's like is that Jormungandr actually and then you know obviously he shows up in Ragnarok as well but then goes back in time and there's like there's like a whole like narrative loop about the snake that I didn't quite grasp all the way yeah but I think it was really interesting how they kind of also alluded to the idea of Fenrir being this giant wolf with you know the soul of Fenrir going into Garm it's like Ah, oh, it's clever. It's clever. It's, it's uh, you're playing with like the actual mm-hmm. written mythology, but making your own spin on it. I like it's it, also yeah. good because like, you know, I read Norse mythology, like the Neil Gaiman, like bunch of stories. And, you know, we've seen various interpretations of the characters over the years. But I felt like I recognize that name, but I'm really glad that I don't know who you are in this world. And I think the way they handled those characters is so clever. And like, it just meant that I was constantly surprised at, at every turn. And I think that's something that they should be really proud of because the even the ending, like I had no idea where that was going. I oh, no I was idea. so worried. I, I mean, was so I knew, ready. <laughs> I knew that Kratos wouldn't be killed off because he makes too much money. But I was like, who's going to die? What's going to happen here? Like, where are they taking this? And so I was very pleasantly surprised that the ending was actually good. When Atreus was like, oh, we're going to win Ragnarok. It's going to be great. I'm like, oh, we're fucking losing everything. Something bad's going to happen. But hey, he wasn't wrong. Well, I mean, we lost Brock and we lost Freyr. So yeah. you also didn't get a chance, Rihanna, to meet... Freya's brother. There's a really phenomenal section of the game that's set in Vanir that then goes on a really long time. They like open up this giant section Vanaheim. of the map with the Vanir in Vanaheim. And I remember getting there. So you, so you do a narrative bit with Freya's brother, Freyr. And then the idea is that's on the mission to get the spear that you're trying to kill to build to kill Heimdall. And then you're supposed to take the spear and, you know, the drop near spear back to the brothers so that they can like finish forging it or whatnot. And then there you can like open up this whole other section of the map and it's like, oh, or you can go back, you know, Mm. to Sindri's. And I was like, but you just you just dropped this giant section of the map on me. What am I supposed to do? I did think it was interesting how the game would talk to you really almost fourth wall breaking. Mm of, oh, are you going to go continue with the main path or should we go adventuring? And the game really kind of hammered at home at the end in a couple sections where they're very much like, go do some other stuff. Go have fun and do these things together because you're not going to be able to do them together after a certain point. And 
I like that for multiple reasons. One, I like it when a game telegraphs to me that the world environment's going to permanently change. And if I don't have a save in the right spot, I'm going to be mad about it. (laughs) So thank you for telegraphing that to me. But also this idea that they kept hammering home. We don't know how much time we have left together. Mm -hmm. Father and son. If I'm going to die in Ragnarok, I being Kratos, like if Kratos is going to die in Ragnarok, let's spend time together. Let's not rush into this battle that's inevitable that I may or may not die or that you may or may not die at. Let's instead be together and spend time together, even if it's us just like rowing a boat around, collecting random shit from chess or whatnot. I love that message of it's okay to slow down and put like the big things on the back burner from time to time. We all can't just avoid our life responsibilities, of course, but it's okay to just say, hey, I need time to be with the people that I love and life will wait. Mm. There was a really beautiful moment when they were freeing the half goofas. I think is what they're called. The oh, big jellyfish yeah. in the sky. Yes. Beautiful. So pretty. And Alfheim. Yeah. And, you know, Atreus and Kratos, this is earlier on, depending on when you do it, you know, they're still beefing quite heavily. And Atreus is like, why are we really doing this? You know, you don't have to try to do this as a distraction if you're trying to keep my mind off of everything. And Kratos just is like, it's not a distraction. And then Mimir said, have you ever considered, lad, that he just wants to spend time with you while he can? And then Kratos kind of piggybacked off of that. Obviously, it wasn't until later in the game, towards the end, where Kratos really opened his heart up and accepts that he was the one who wasn't ready to accept that Atreus has grown up and a capable warrior on his own now. But yeah, Andrew, those moments were really, they were really special and they were just really beautifully and cinematically done. And I remember just like looking up in the sky. It's too bad that the two of them ended up banging and then dying. And then they were just filled with their little like half Guga jizz in the sky. But like, cool, you do you guys. But it was really pretty. The half Goofas are essentially these giant jellyfish that like fly in the sky. Did you see them? I've seen pictures of this. Yeah, there's like this, once you free them both, like there's like this ceremony where they essentially give their life for their children. And there's like a whole narrative tunnel to go down there as yeah. well, talking about this idea of of the sacrifice that parents make for their children and how mm-hmm. these creatures' ultimate sacrifice is in order for their children to live that they must die, which is horrible. I would like to keep living. Thank you, baby. <laughs> Hopefully we can have lots of time for that. But I think that to me is why this game is so impactful is that this isn't just a game. Like what they did narratively is so important talking about all these different kinds of relationships between father and son, between two brothers, between, you know, a daughter and her mother, between like, you know, two potential rivals that were used to be friends and now are enemies, you know, and the coming back and forgiveness. And like, there's so many layers of themes of emotion in this. I mean, we haven't even like dived into the whole thing between Freya and Kratos and like where that went and how dark that got. Clearly she's trying to murder his ass in the opening sequences of the game. And then they have this moment where they actually have this communication breakthrough and like, God bless the idea that we can talk our fucking problems out and not kill each other. We have to try to kill each other first because combat. But then. (laughs) Yes, because, you know, boss fights and whatnot. But this idea that they are able to talk out her feelings. And I just had so much respect for this idea of like, it's okay to like have big emotions and talk about them. In those sections, you know, when you kind of start going around with Freya, it's really good to see Kratos trying 
because he doesn't get it right, at least at the very beginning, but he's at least trying and he tries to meet her halfway. And, you know, from the Kratos we've known for the past almost 20 years of God of War, and especially the one from 2018, it's like, he wouldn't have, that would not have been that Kratos. And he's something profound, like a lot of profound things have been happening to that man. And when you get that big breakthrough moment, the mission is that Odin basically cursed Freya. She can't leave the realm. She, he, you know, he's hampered her, like essentially smothered a lot of her power. She's, she's not as powerful as she used to be. And so you take her and you go around the place that she and Odin got married. Mm. And so she not only gets to like get the catharsis of breaking items that were important to the ceremony, but also like she openly talks about the trauma with Kratos. And like at the end of that mission, you know, he helps her and like break away and just let that stuff go. And then they have this reconciliation and it's so well done. And like they both agree like they've both been through too much and like the thing that they have to do is work together to face against the real threat which is Odin and like the end of the world but it's like from this place of like parentage like they both recognize their roles in their children's lives and the mistakes they've maybe made and what they don't want going forward and it's like this beautiful moment again it's why I say when Danielle was was did not get that game awards norm I was like she should have got it for that scene alone, but it's it's fantastic. And also, like in the post game, you go around with Freya, like she is your companion, mm-hmm. and it's great because I ship them for sure. They're oh, you very, do! They're so sweet to each other at the end, like. But you know, they they're just basically trying to fix the world now and leave it in a better place, and so they're working. And that's that's basically like the story reasoning that you can go back and mop up side quests and you know there's uh there's bits there's new things that you have to kind of clean up and whatever and and obviously fight but you know she has a lot of history that kratos doesn't necessarily know about but she has a shared history with mamir which i love because like mamir just keeps like trying to poke her and like bring up some old stuff and she's like no i'm not gonna do all that leave me alone (laughs) it's so funny you say that because one of the things i wanted to bring up is i'm to me anyway I have no inkling of any sexual tension between those two or any inkling of romance. I, just, between I, do, them I don't two. think it's sexual tension. I just, I think they're so good for each other. So like, oh, even okay. if it's so a completely ship them, plat- I ship okay. them could be a platonic friendship. I'm just so happy they are oh, okay. together and doing things. Because like, that's are. something I really appreciate. They're like bosom yeah, buddies. They're, yeah, they're just good buds and they know that they're good for each other in terms of yeah. like friendship and making shit happen. They're a good team. But I just also really appreciate that, that, you know, you're not going to make these two people into a thing. You know, maybe one night they get drunk on their own while doing side quests and they boink. (laughs) Who could say? Like, that's on them. Like, you do you. But it's nothing that we, the players, know about. And I think that's great because I'm just trying to imagine those two together in a relationship. And I was like, oh, that would be that would be bad. It's interesting theme that we've talked about. Like you were said, re like parenting. You got Thor and Throod. You got Freya who's coming to terms with happened with Baldur. You got Atreus and you have Kratos. And it's just like the grandmother in Agrabah. Does anyone know how to be a parent, like <laughs> a healthy parent in this world? No. I guess being a god and a parent is probably a difficult thing. I don't know. Is Thor the best parent in this story? Like, is that definitely no? Not. No. <laughs> no. Yeah. I would maybe give that to Sif. Yeah. Like yeah. I would Sif. say, if we're looking yeah. at at best parents in this situation, Sif is probably. Probably the one who's like looking out for Throod and who actually goes to Thor and is like, you aren't mad enough that we lost our boys, that Magni and and Modi, Mm -hmm. right? Like these two characters that we fight in 2018 God of War that Atreus and Kratos kill. 
she's like this giant this loki you're just like going on these missions with him he killed our sons like this is you never like held your father's like feet to the fire about this like he's putting through at risk now and i i think that she's a character i would have liked to see a little bit more mm. of and a little bit more backstory for but Obviously, she was too level-headed. Only so much it time. Been, it wouldn't have been entertaining. She she made too much sense in her logic. She's in Vanaheim in the post game. Yeah, she has like a couple nice moments in there. But yeah, I agree. I would have loved to have seen more from Sif. I didn't expect to see that much of Throod, and I'm really glad we did. Yeah, I thought she was great. She was great. So, do we want to talk about like the end game Throod like Moment. Easter egg that they yeah. dropped? So clearly, everybody knows that Thor has this hammer. Mjolnir. But what you won't know until you get to the end of the game is that Thor is killed in Ragnarok. And he's killed by Odin. Odin literally stabs Thor through the Odin's chest. Odin's a coward. And kills yeah. It's a really hard moment because it's when Atreus is co- being confronted by Odin and you're fighting Odin and Thor appears and Odin tries to command Thor to fight because Kratos and Thor had just had a clash and Kratos is trying desperately to say, we don't have to fight each other. We have to be better for our children. You and I are both bad dudes. We've done bad things, but we can be better and need to be better for our kids. We need to set a better example for them. We don't want our children to be like us, like the bad dudes that we are. And it feels like he somehow has a breakthrough moment with Thor and they essentially agree to like lay down their weapons and then in comes Odin and he tries to be like what are you doing why are you talking and not fighting why is this guy not dead yet like what the fuck you fuck up and just just starts berating Thor for the fact that Kratos and Atreus are still alive or whatever and then there you think that there's going to be a good moment between Thor when he confronts Odin, but we don't get it because Odin then literally fucking murders his son, like stabs him through the chest and murders him in front of Kratos and Atreus. And it's like a really like kind of shocking moment because I didn't uh, I didn't see that. Well, doesn't moment he coming. like throw through to side as well? So like, as as he's stabbing yes. Thor, yeah, through because through had been. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, through had been thrown. And then right as he's stabbing Thor through through sees it and she lets out like this guttural scream of no and then they like both like feebly reach for each other and then that's it and then Odin immediately tries to put the blame on Atreus and Kratos because he's a mm. fucking coward but through yeah, saw exactly. Odin stab him she's like there's no there's to be no mincing of words like she saw yeah. it all go down <laughs> yeah it was a real it was a really it was a really powerful moment in the game but because of that Mjolnir Thor's weapon is essentially like lost in Ragnarok because there's all this fighting happening and like a lot of environmental destruction and then you kind of get teleported into this boss fight with with the Allfather and there's no mention of what happens with Throod or Mjolnir in that moment and then in the end game you get to see Throod again and she's like there's this thing I have to go find and it's like so obvious that fucking everybody that it's the fucking hammer of course she's gonna go look for her dad as a weapon like you don't just let Mjolnir like hang out somewhere you gotta go get it <laughs> and then at the very very end there's like an easter egg moment where you like see Throod with Mjolnir and she like takes off in the sky and it's like, like oh thank you proud dad and then yeah. off she goes it's, 
very sweet. And I'm glad, you know, then that's also an interesting dynamic. I'm glad it, it seems like in the end she was able to forgive him despite his addiction to alcohol and his alcohol abuse and the problems that it brought to their family. And I also just want to give a shout out to the narrative team on that front. You know, alcohol abuse is a very tricky and awful disease. And they handled that, I feel like, so realistically, her reactions and seeing the way Thor reacted. He knows he needs help, but he can't help himself. And then in the end, you know, she was able to, in my mind, forgive him. And now she wants to make him proud and become a Valkyrie. And she's going to have a fucking hammer at her disposal. So I thought that was really well done. And it was surprising to see her. And I'm happy we did. I would have loved to see more of her. But I mean, who, who, and this is, I guess, the next question. Like, where does the, where does the series go from here? So they've said that this is the end of the Norse mm-hmm. arc for the series, that they're kind of pinning the Norse mythology and that the series obviously is going to continue. <laughs> they haven't talked about how it's going to continue, where it's going to continue. And I have so many questions about that because they left so many open threads mm-hmm. with the Norse stuff. Like Loki slash Atreus at the end of the game is like, I'm going to go search for the giants. And so he goes off on this adventure that he has to do solo to look for the giants. And it's like, well, okay, so are we just never seen Atreus again? Like, is it just Dunzo? And then it's like, okay, well, they give us this moment with Thrud, like getting Mjolnir back. Okay, so she could clearly play a big role. And then there's Angraboda and what she's going to do and if she's going to interact with Atreus again. And everybody else in the world. So I'm like, are we just leaving all of these characters behind? Like, that's kind of sad. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't think so. I think they're all going to come back in some way, shape, or form. I think this while this ultimately will always be Kratos' story, Kratos needs his supporting cast of characters. Like, he's mm. a fascinating guy, but on his own, I don't think he's kind of boring. Like, you know, he's Angry he's very so smart much, and intelligent, yeah. but, like, he needs the comic relief from the mirror. He needs Atreus to, to grow him as a character. So... I think, and this has been kind of the general consensus I've seen, is that we're going to go to different universes, different gods, and see where he can maybe become a champion there. Or is this, because remember his whole goal, I feel like, is he's never thought he would be able to be revered. He never thought he would be worshipped. Did anyone ever love him? Odin taunted him with those words. And at the end, he sees his mural, and he's depicted as this golden statue worshipped by a bunch of people. Now, are those people all from... What's what's what do you call the current Norse shit? Or is it from like a bunch of other universes like we don't know? And there's some fun theories going on with after you free the real tier from the prison. He's doing a bunch of interesting movements in every realm. And in the IGN spoiler cast, apparently Eric Williams, game director, said that after you free the real tier, there's a reason he's found doing certain motions in each realm and that it could be a hint for a secret. And so people see him doing Tai Chi mm. in Helheim mm-hmm. and people are like, OK, are we are, where are we going with this? You know, mm. what, where are we going next? So. So there's a secret spot, Rihanna, in Niflheim, which you may you probably haven't opened the Raven Tree yet, have you? So. So you, at, at one point, get to go to the raven tree. So all the ravens, Odin's ravens that you kind of can kill throughout the game. Each one that you kill in the game will then appear on this tree in Niflheim. And then there's a bunch of chests. After X amount of ravens, you can unlock different rewards inside the chest. But at the end game, there's a path that opens up to the side in Niflheim. Where you can go over and you find this prison, this new structure, almost like a, I don't want to quite call it a dungeon because that's like (laughs) overblowing it a bit. It's just like this tiny little area, like a little cave type thing. And you go down multiple levels and you have to figure out how to get down. You fight enemies along the way. And when you get to the bottom, 
you get to a prison with the real tier. So we mentioned that, you know, the tier that you save from Svartalheim isn't actually tier. It's Odin in disguise. Right. And what you also discover along the way when you go down this prison is that everybody that's still locked up in that prison is essentially like an avatar for Odin. And he has to keep them alive. Otherwise, he can't assume their form. And so you end up killing all these different people who have been used by Odin Ooh. along the way. But they try to kill you back. And then after you free the real tier, then when you continue through the end game, he'll start to appear in different realms as you're doing like random side quests and kind of doing end game stuff. And that's what mm-hmm. Brittany's talking about, this these theories about, you know, what's gonna happen Ooh, next. Okay. He seems so we, much more self assured and confident than the Odin tier. The Odin tier. So so we had Greek mythology, now this is Norse is closed and we're saying we think potentially some Asian mythology. East Asian? That'd be sick, dude. I, I thought like my my kind of prediction or like fan theory, I guess, would be instead of gods, it would be more like fables and like more more of those mm. kind of things. Like maybe that you would get more with like a witcher. Like not saying we go full American gods on it, but you know, something that would maybe be a little bit more modern because unless you're going into Christianity, but I really can't see Kratos like beating up the three wise men or something. You know, I can't. <laughs> No, they can't go yeah, that. They you can't, can't go that can modern. Go they need, like, how can you go no. forward in a timeline? Right. But I would pay for that game. God, I'd pay for that game. <laughs> Yo, I am Jesus Christ is coming soon. It's You're coming right. Out. Uh, but no, I mean, there was like, did you hear the original ending for God of War 3 was meant to be like end of the game, a realm tear opens and just like Egyptian gods come out. All these other gods come out, like Asian gods come out. And then Kratos, I think I'm remembering this correctly. I made a video about it like two weeks ago, so I really should remember this. But basically, (laughs) like he realizes that the god's power comes from humanity's worshipping of them. And then he sorts that out. Those gods all kind of die. And then at the end of the game, it's the three wise men going, (laughs) symbolizing like the birth of a new god, Jesus. I'm going to have to YouTube this. I've never seen that. So they never they never made it. This was like just an, the idea that I believe David Jaffe had oh. ages ago, but like he wasn't he didn't work on it. But he he talked about it in a like a God of War three. Like they made like a Sony made a documentary about it, and he he had this idea. And so I would love to get like gods from other like absolutely uh, like Egyptian gods would be there. really I, fun. There's lots of story there. That was meant to be. They they did concept art for instead of Norse. And then the reason I'm, I literally just made this video, so I'm sorry. It's like fresh in my mind. But they um I read that the reason they didn't go for Egyptian gods is like the sole backdrop for this was because in like the Scandinavian thing that they went for, it was a lot more isolated, so it could be way more character focused. Whereas in mm. if you went to Egypt, it was way more like society focused. And so it wouldn't necessarily have had the same power behind those stories like at least the the intimate character moments because you would have this backdrop which was way busier but oh, that makes sense okay now norse stuff is done i just think like there's so many i mean mythology wise there's a lot of cool places they could go but i don't know how you keep one-upping your narrative yeah. interactions because this was this was really, I mean, I didn't think it would be possible to really give in as impactful of a of a story as they gave with 2018, but they did it. And I think they did it really masterfully. And I'm like, but what's right. next? You know, like as 
Kratos becomes a man and an adult and his relationship with his dad. I mean, definitely there's more themes to explore. Of course, there's a lot of there's a lot of problems that we as humans have with each other and our emotions. But man, they got their work cut out for him. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, the relationship between you said Kratos and Atreus was kind of the center of a lot of this and watching that unfold. But it seems like, you know, they're cool now. They're good. Atreus is off doing his own shit, looking for giants and whatever. But now that they're good, you know, I think the next time we see Atreus, though, he's going to be a man, man, adult oh, man. Yeah. And uh, I'm really excited to see what they do with him because they can still play around with him a lot. Do you know, Lucy, does Kratos age or is he like stuck at this age or how does that work for him? I mean, he looks he old as look fuck. Yeah, he definitely but, has to age I mean, a little does bit. He, how, like, Even if it's slow. Yeah, he wondering. might have reduced aging because what he's... How long will Kratos live? He becomes old the god is... of war. Like he pulls a bargain with... Uh... Kratos is not immortal. None of the... Well, I don't know yeah. if this is true or not. Never mind. Okay. I don't know. I like he's, yeah, I he's around... A thousand and sixty-four years old at the time of God of War Ragnarok. Fuck. All right. I mean, I see that too, and I would like to like further explore how they came up with that number. But <laughs> who knows? Yeah. Oh, around know. around a thousand? That's too many years to be alive. Well, yeah, That's for for many. normal humans, correct? At least a few hundred. No, for anybody. Like nobody <laughs> wants to be alive for that long. You gotta see. You gotta see a bunch of bullshit. That's and then you have a teenager. A thousand years. Oh, yeah, right? how long is he going to be a teenager for? Ugh, we didn't even talk about oh, Faye yeah, at all. About about her. Also, Deborah Ann Wall played her, which I, which she's amazing, and I, and I love her. And I wish we would have got a few more flashbacks with Faye and seen, because every time they talked about Faye and Kratos together, I just kept thinking, I want them to flashback to a moment where, like, Faye, like, has this, like, I like that guy. <laughs> yeah, I want to know how he's, that went down. He's right? hot or yeah. he's funny or, you know, he gonna be my baby daddy. Like something. I was like, because Kratos is so fucking serious. All I love the how time. she calls him grumbles. But clearly he won her over somehow. And they like, you know, did the thing and made a baby and whatnot. And they flash back to when Kratos is or not Kratos, but Atreus is a baby. And that's a really like neat moment to see. I was hoping to get a little bit more of like, what happened to mm. make Faye go, hey, boo. And them ashes good. are cute. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Those ashes of all your dead people. Kratos is just so serious <laughs> all the fucking time. Yeah, I, I, I'm glad we got what we got, but I also would have liked to have seen more. I like that she called him Grumbles a lot. I like yeah. that, you know, she poked fun at him quite a bit. It's like, what did they just like beat the shit out of each other? And then like sexual tension came up and they're like, okay, let's boink. Oh, that was kind of nice. We should stick around. Like, how did that happen? I'd, I would like to know. I don't know. But I mean, I, I do like yeah. them together. I Again, Kratos is at his best when he's around people he cares and loves about because he kind of unfolds like an onion. He peels like an onion. It's almost like all of us are the best when we're around people who support us and love us. It's like it's talking about real life, Brittany. It's we say, as we're all remotely you know, dialing in on Discord. I know, right? So <laughs> I, I have a potentially stupid question. Why aren't giants big? Well, one giant we see is big. But Atreus and his mom and Angerbutta are all like people-sized. I, I, okay, they I don't do know if I... They address that, don't they? They do. And the only thing I remember, and maybe Lucy, you know more, is just because you're called a giant doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be big and tall. I think it depends on the kind of giant you are. Yeah, that's all I got from that. It's supposed... Yeah, the, so they kind of qualify it as like giant being like a race. Yeah. Okay. Versus giant being like a, a physical qualifier. Yeah. Okay. If that makes sense. But yeah. Some giants are fucking huge. 
I just didn't understand. I was like, he, he, he started saying he's a giant because I haven't played 2018 to completion either. So he's like, I'm a giant. And I'm like, no, you're not. Like, I was confused. <laughs> <laughs> you a tiny ass little boy. So like Ingrid Boda's grandmother is a giant. because She's, house, yeah, she's big, big. Right? Yeah. yeah I Huge. don't know how that works. That was a fun level that I wish we got to spend way more time in. I was like, I actually like purposefully went through that level really slowly because I was like, this is a cool yeah. ass level yeah. that is going to be over way too quick and we're never going to come back here. And you can't like even in the end game, when you go back to Jotunheim, it's very limited where you can go. You can't like go explore. You can see Angerboda's treehouse and like yeah. that's Aww. it. And it was just like, it was like a Jack and the Giant Beanstalk. It was cool. Moment. Really cool like, level design. Bar was or something just yeah. sneaking around. I loved Ragnarok. It definitely, the final sequence when, it's weird, I'm gonna try to explain it. So the final part of the game where Ragnarok is going down, you've blown the horn and then Kratos starts it off with that badass like little speech that he gives. And I'm like, yeah, you go general, tap into those general genes. He gives this thing and then shit goes down. Like that whole part from start to finish to me was just like sublime, so fucking good. That said, I thought the plot point of Ragnarok itself, the thing the game had been leading up to was kind of anticlimactic. It didn't feel like this end of all end battle but uh i still just love that last part of it how did you guys feel about ragnarok itself i was a little bit confused about the fire giants role to play so there's a mission that you go on before you end up blowing the galahorn and taking down well it's after you take down heimdall but it's like so we know that we have to essentially initiate this battle with odin we need something on our side and there's part of the prophecy is this these, this fire giant and the I think this frost giant who is his mm-hmm. partner. And so you go after him. His, his name is Surtur. And I think that they rushed that narrative moment. Honestly, like if I'm going to point out a flaw in the missions that they created, like this is to me mm-hmm. the biggest flaw of like this felt really hurried. I didn't really feel like I got a full explanation of like why we were doing this, who Surtur was, the fact that they kept calling him. Ragnarok instead of the event Mm. of Ragnarok also confused me at the end. So Rihanna is part of like the prophecy. The idea is that you meet these two giants and they're supposed to essentially like Voltron (laughs) together to form this giant like mech type creature that's supposed to fight in Ragnarok in the battle against Odin. And he decides that he doesn't want to join with his partner because he doesn't want her to be hurt anymore. He's like, it's like his longtime love. So they are these two giants that have essentially like these are like rock giants almost that have like swapped hearts. So inside him is her heart and inside her is Aww. his heart. And they're like these eternal lovers. And it's a really, really like, sweet story. But it just like, again, I feel like it just felt so hurried. You kind of just go, you kind of hand wave it a little bit. And they're like, yeah, 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 whatever. I'm trying to get to the end of the game. <laughs> At this point. And then you are supposed to activate this guy. Once you blow Galahorn, he's like, I'll hear the call and I'll come fight at your side as this like big, crazy, giant monster character. And he gets there. But because he didn't join with his partner, he's like missing his other half. And then he's essentially useless in the battle. Everybody. And I'm like, so what was all that for? Exactly. Yeah, he's like chucking stuff. You do get a really cool moment where you kind of see him arrive and you know start causing chaos but yeah it's not entirely i agree with andrea like i was like i don't know what's going on here i'm just gonna keep going and find odin it's fine yep. I'll just all we knew thing. is that they had to join together for the prophecy to take fold or for ragnarok to happen but we that was it they just told us that there wasn't a lot of building up to that part and 
it was too bad because it, it could have been real good. He, and I wasn't even sure if that was even him. I'm like, is this Odin? Like, I, I don't know. I don't know who to trust anymore. What's any because he, he had some of the same mannerisms of Odin, mm. so I was kind of freaked out. But I want to call out the part is it after he falls? You're at this beautiful location, Ria. I think it's called the Spark of the Beginning or the Spark of the World. Oh, yeah. What's it called? The Spark of the World. Here we go. And it's this gorgeous, like, purples and reds and pinks cosmos. It's just stunning. And he is all fucked up. And he's like, okay, I got I to gotta form and morph. Oh, he falls off this edge. And you're just, like, on these floating-ass, like, little asteroid things. I don't even know what they are. But then this really cool fight happens with Hurst and Mist, I think, these Valkyries. And that fight was also intense. But there's this moment where, so Atreus can shapeshift. And I think he has a bear form and a wolf form. And mm-hmm. he turns into the wolf form when I think he's just, like, feeling... I don't know how to explain it. It's like his like good form. He's like, oh, I, I love everyone and I'm in control or whatever. And then he can turn into his bear form when he's like, I'm going to fuck some shit up. And yeah. up until that point, whenever he turns into the bear form, he's unable to control himself. But in this moment, he's able to control it. And there's just this beautiful like flash of Kratos and then Atreus as a bear. But it's like this mm. like scene out of a fucking anime. It's so sick. Oh, yeah. They get like that hero shot moment. They get that like, hero crossing shot over each other. Back- and- oh, my God. I'll just send it to you. It was really pretty. That part, I was like, oh, that's so badass. And again, I didn't cry, but my eyes welled up a little bit. I was like, oh, my boy's doing it. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what God of War as a franchise, I think, is really known for. These giant, big set pieces. These incredibly cinematic moments. If you think back to the early parts of the franchise, if people who are listening or watching played the early God of Wars, like that's what people always talked about. These huge battles that Kratos would do with these gods. I mean, he is a god killer. And I do like that they have a moment where he is with Freya, I believe, and she asks him about some of the things that he did in his past life. And he talks about taking down Medusa. And he's like, there's this god Medusa. Oh, yeah. and like, it's a really fun, like callback moment. Um, to this fight, you know, and it reminds players who have been with the franchise for a really long time of like, yeah, like Sony Santa Monica as a studio has been doing these kinds of big set pieces all along. It's really a hallmark of this franchise. And I'm really glad that they really honored that in what they did both with the 2018 God of War and what we saw in in Ragnarok. It's just, it's just good. There's obviously flaws and people on Twitter were quick to flock to my feed when I mentioned that we were doing our spoiler cast this week and how I talked about how I thought the game was really masterfully done yet again. And all of these freaking haters come into my feed and are like, ah, it was boring. Didn't like it. It was stupid. And I was like, Take that opinion, turn it sideways, and shove it up your ass. Sorry, you wasted your time. No one asked. Just missed the point. But um, I do want to wrap up our discussion. Ladies, any kind of, I guess maybe we'll start with you, Rihanna, since you've, you know, not gotten all the way to the end. Obviously, we've dropped a, a lot on you. There's Spoiled clearly the a shit lot more to happen. For and you. I, I love it. <laughs> and I do hope that you, you know, continue playing because there's some really, really fun moments. Is there anything that you either looking forward to experiencing that you really enjoyed a moment, a quote, a relationship, anything that you kind of want to like leave people with of like, this was like the thing that I really appreciated about the game. Something that I really liked was uh, sort of around that time when they were going to find Tyr, I guess the first time, not that no, there's a second time where they were in a train, like a runaway train and they mm-hmm. crashed and a trace is like, shit, 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 very appropriately, <laughs> as most of us probably would say. And uh, after after, you know, they, they they get out of that scene, I think 
Kratos fights a troll or briefly, he starts chastising Atreus and says, like, is that their last words you want to say before you die? Like, you should have more control. <laughs> and it was just such a weird moment because I and then Mimir steps in and is like, dude, seriously, like, chill out. Like, he's a kid. Like, he's going to curse when he's upset. And he's like, but like, it, it was just so interesting to see those two different viewpoints on a, a moment of panic and then seeing it from Atreus's perspective where he's like, like trying to defend himself to his dad and saying like, dude, I was fucking scared. Like, what do you expect me to say? He's like, you need to harness that and control it and use it to get out of the situation. And that was one of those moments where it's just like you get to see three different versions of like one person is like very rooted in like, how do I move forward no matter what happens? Like I'm going to outlive my entire family. Like that is Kratos. And then there's another person, Mimir, who's like, Hey, I'm just going with the flow. I don't need, I can't die. Like everything's chill. Like it's whatever. <laughs> like that's his perspective. Smartest man alive. Right. And then there's Atreus who's like this kid who has like all the potential in the world. Like, you know, shape-shifting characters are often used as avatars for like unlimited possibility. Right. We look at Jack Jack and the Incredibles and things like that, where it's like, he could be anything. Like, we don't know what his future holds, even at the end of this game, it sounds like. What a great yeah. example. Thank you. Oh, Thanks. And, and the fact that his reaction is just so pure and just so natural. And it's like, I'm scared. I'm going to curse. Like, like, I just love all of the different <laughs> perspectives. And, and again, shout out to the to the narrative team for, for having such great character DNA and, and where you, you can see where they, they're all clearly written by the same group of people, but they all feel so different and they all have such different takes on every situation. And it's just kind of like a little microcosm example of like how excited I am to see all of the other characters in this game and how they react to these different situations. So yeah, I'm going to keep playing it. I will. I Yay. promise. I'm very excited to see it. Brittany. Oh, you, do you want me to talk about some shit? Okay, I can do that. I think my favorite part of Ragnarok was obviously like the twists and the turns got me. And that's always exciting as someone who's invested in these stories. But I think it was just watching Kratos evolve as a dad and as a human. I think in, in that relationship between the two of him, Atreus and Kratos, form. And, you know, we got Kratos apologizing to, to Atreus at one point, And he says, I'm sorry. And Atreus looks at him and he said, don't be sorry, be better. And the little smile that forms on Kratos' bearded ass mouth was just so fucking heartwarming. I was like, oh, that was so good. And, you know, towards the end, at the very end-ish, where Kratos is telling Atreus, open your heart to it when it's always been close your heart to it. Then there's these moments of levity where you have this father and son dynamic. And I think about when they are, I think it's in Vanaheim at the Wishing Well or Wishing Pond, whatever it's called. And you're throwing these little shards in here and you're getting some bomb-ass rewards in return. And Mimir makes this little mark, remark and he said, brother, we should throw the boy into the water. He stinks. And Atreus says, I don't smell father, do I? And Kratos just pauses and he goes, it is natural. And then he just has like the super, <laughs> you can tell Atreus is embarrassed as all shit. And it's like those little interactions to me are just, oh my God, so heartwarming. And I love that they were thrown in there. You could miss them, but if you got to experience them, it really added a lot of dimension to their relationship. So again, phenomenally done. Well done. You did it, Sony Santa Monica. Now give us another one. Lucy, you're I up. think so. I mean, obviously, the one of the big themes of the first 2018 is like breaking this cycle of violence. Like he deliberately doesn't tell Atreus that he's part god because he doesn't want him to live that life. He doesn't want him to have these hardships that he's had, and so it's breaking the silence and like Kratos's journey to being a better father. And so in the in uh, 
Ragnarok, it's the moments where he knows he has to let him go. And the way that that's done, I thought that was beautiful. I really love the way that he talks to Thor and goes, look, we have both done some shit. Like you mentioned this moment earlier, it's like, we have to be better. And it's like, it's it's him realizing the change has to come from him and Mm. not, you know, he realizes that Atreus is going to be his own person and is going to do things his way and he can all he can do is guide but be there and also set an example and i think one moment that i really really loved is the night before ragnarok atreus gets his own tent which is huge because mm-hmm. it's like a, a man deserves his own tent so he, he gets his tent and then in the middle of the night he comes over and he's like can i come sleep with you to kratos uh. and he comes in and they like have like a dad and son cuddle yeah. moment. And Kratos so tells that story. And yes. again, going back to Christopher Judge, the facial animations that are captured on Kratos, like he doesn't even need to say anything. You can just tell what's going through his mind. You can tell he was this close to breaking down. He's never wanted to see his son go to war. And here they are the night before war. No one knows what the next day is going to bring. Like I can just vicariously feel that anxiety and that dread and that pit in my stomach, knowing what he must be feeling. And yeah, that was beautiful, Lucy. I'm glad you brought that up. Also, shout out to Lunda, my new like, favorite blacksmith. Oh yeah, yeah. We didn't talk about her at all. She's a she was a fun moment, and she's she kind of takes Brock's place yeah. in the end game when you're going around and you go, find these you know blacksmith shops throughout the world. A lot of them where Brock was. Uh, Lunda will be. She's a, a dwarf that you will meet later on in uh, in Vanaheim. But these are all great moments. I think just a couple for me. I love the game routinely like called me out for taking time to go and find yes. <laughs> my dad it's loves like loot the characters oh yeah the characters are always like okay well, this is not where we're going but sure you need to go find your chest go ahead <laughs> and i i love it it was so fourth wall breaking and they're like yeah uh-huh you're gonna go loot go loot Panda. <laughs> and i was like yeah i gotta go find and the stuff and the characters at one point is like yeah my dad loves treasure or something because he's mm-hmm. talking to i think tear at the moment and i was like god damn it you're right fuck it was so like i like lost it the first time somebody i don't know if it was like mamir or Travis or somebody in the very beginning of the game was just like yeah sure you gotta go look up there for another chest or something i was like oh my god yes i am i am gonna go look for another chest and the bit when you're playing as a Travis and he tries to punch through a chest oh that's so good he's like oh no mistake My hand hurts. I shouldn't have tried that. And then he's like, okay, you use my bow instead. It was a really funny moment. And I liked how on the nose it was. I think it brought some really great levity. And I think it levity was so needed with all of these really like weighty, heavy themes of, of loss and letting go that they, they talked about in the game. And the quote that I had, you know, mentioned on Twitter was what Faye had said mm-hmm. about grief, about how you can't, you know that you've fully loved when you grieve deeply. And this idea of if you're really grieving deeply, it's because you've loved fully. And I think that that's a theme that a lot of us experience in our lives or we all will experience at some Love point. Love persevering. And how do you? Yeah, exactly. This idea that like you mentioned, Brittany, that moment of opening your heart and how Kratos talks to Atreus about, no, don't close your heart, open your heart. And that's predicated by this scene that they flash back to with Faye of Faye saying, hey, like, Actually, opening your heart to love and opening your heart to the world is how you keep going in the face of overwhelming grief. That you can get lost in this sea of sadness and what you no longer have in your life, but instead you should open your heart to the fact that there are people in this world that still need you and need your love and that you can give your love to. 
and how you can find purpose in loving more people and bringing more joy in people's lives. And I was like, it was such a like a hit me in the feels moment that I wasn't expecting on top of so many other like hit me in the feels moment throughout the game that I was just like, you know what? This is really impactful and really important. And I just- There's so <sighs> many. I and mean, we didn't even talk There's about so There's so many. Where Fenrir was revived, like how his ear drooped, how oh. his eyes got like big and brown. I'm like, those look like my dog's eyes. And I love that the first thing Kratos does, he goes, yeah. sit. And he's like, okay, like fine, shit. And he just like sits down. And then you can go back and give him a big old pet later on. And he calls him a good boy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. Johanaheim, you can give him doggy pets. Uh, there's so just sweet. so many good moments. I mean, we literally could be here all night. I, mm-hmm. I have a whole list of other shit, but like I said, we'd be here forever. But yeah, just <laughs> a phenomenal game. So good. And we imagine if you've gotten to the end of the spoiler cast, you've already experienced all of these moments for yourself. And because we're doing a spoiler cast video, you know, if you guys want to drop your favorite moments on the YouTube comments, please do. We would love to hear, you know, some impactful moments for you and what you loved about the game. Maybe if you have theories about where you think Kratos is going to go, what's going to happen next, uh, we'd love to hear that too. And of course, we will be back next week talking about what happened at the Game Awards. Apparently, we're going to be getting some good reveals and some trailers. Hope so. Allegedly. Well, Key brings the goods. He does. Yeah. And we, the four of us, will take a photo together. It's gonna happen. I'm calling it right now. But in the meantime, thank you everybody for joining us. We hope you enjoyed the spoiler cast, and uh, we'll see you next week. Bye, everybody. Bye.